We'll start out in 2 Samuel chapter 5, but most of the time we will be in 1 Chronicles 11 and 12. The thing to remember is that Yahweh had guaranteed David to be the king. This is the word of God. Nothing will stop it. It's interesting to follow the development. There's a period of time after David the boy is anointed. A rather lengthy period of time. During which David is prepared in many ways. He spent a great deal of time in the royal court of Saul. Before that, he was a shepherd. He understood how to take care of a flock, how to protect them. He developed skills as a shepherd, but more than that, he developed courage and self-confidence. Moving into Saul's court, of course, because he killed the giant, becomes a son-in-law of Saul, and now, at that point, becomes a commander of men, a commander of, of, of troops. He was given extraordinarily difficult tasks as a soldier because Saul thought surely he would fail and would die in attempting to fulfill the task. Of course, it only, it only built him up. And because of his exploits, all through his life up to the time he becomes a king, his reputation grows and more and more people just fall in love with David. He wasn't without his flaws, and we know that his faith waned at a particular point in time when he went to live with the Philistines. But that's not going to stop what God has promised. God commanded the circumstances, the hearts of men, their thoughts, so that David was rejected by the Philistines in a very important war with Saul. And after it's all over, David just comes out <laughs> smelling like a rose, I guess you'd say. He spent some time commanding his own army. And in that time, he developed a greater sense of justice. And it was on display when he made decisions about people who were brought before him. And he found them <clears throat> to be unjust. And he would punish them or even execute them. He was very fair with the people. <clears throat> he wasn't interested in keeping all of the, the booty for himself. Whenever he conquered outlying villages of the enemies, he would share with the people and they became more endeared to him. He learned the importance of being a compassionate leader and everything then begins to work in his favor so that by the time David becomes king, 
the process through which he goes doesn't just make him a king, it makes him a mighty king. He, Saul was assassinated, you remember the story, or killed on the battlefield. His son was assassinated. The commander of Saul's army defected to David, which would have brought soldiers with him. Everything works, even though David did not orchestrate it, nor did he gloat in it. Everything was working for his favor by the will of God. So that then, after the death of Ishbosheth, the other tribes come and unanimously, David is made the king of all Israel. So what happens at this point? In that culture, in that day, there were several things that would add to the greatness of David. His household had to be a, a strong household. The people had to have confidence that young men, sons of the king, were being trained and brought up in a royal household so that when the time came, a full-grown son of David would be ready to assume the throne. It was important then for the king to have a strong household. And that's where we pick up here in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. The palace has just been built by Hiram, the king, the king of Tyre, who has allied himself. He wants to be in the good graces of David. And he brings choice material from Lebanon and all. And he, he builds this palace for David. David conquers, of course, Jerusalem, and it becomes the city of David. This, at this point, it becomes the capital city of uh, Israel. So let's pick up with 2 Samuel 5 and verse 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after his coming from Hebron. Now that was his capital earlier before the other tribes made him king. And there were born to David more sons and daughters. And these are the names of those that were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shabaph, Natan, Salomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nefer, Japhia, Elishma, Elidia, Eliphalet. These were born uh, in Jerusalem. And we already saw a list of his children who were born in Hebron. So this gives him a whole bunch of kids in his palace. What about the internal strength of the rule of David. A king can only be as strong as those who are closest to him and those who comprise his army. He has to have their allegiance and he has to be sure that they follow his command. Yahweh is in charge of that. 
He's taking care of it. So now the strong household, sons being raised, of course, Solomon, you saw his name there. Solomon, according to historians, Bible historians, arguably was the greatest king on planet earth who ever lived. He was, he was able to raise the prosperity of the kingdom to an unparalleled level. Everything he touched, it seemed, turned to gold. He could produce an income. He could produce money, goods and services in any way that he wanted to. And he had a lot of projects going on. And he developed one of the strongest navies, secular historians say, one of the strongest navies in the world that day so that he could protect the goods that were being shipped out in trade to other nations. He also had a mighty army and they sparkled in the way that they looked. This is not the purpose of the message, but the, the glorious outfits of the Israelite army under Solomon really drew attention and they would protect the highways and the trade routes. And so the, the, the place just really grew. Israel really grew in prosperity and in strength. And this was a son of, of David. So we can see that not only was he brought up in a royal household and knew a lot about the kingdom and being a king, but he also had wisdom, the gift of wisdom from Yahweh. But what about those who surrounded David? How secure was the innermost part of the kingdom? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. And this is mostly going to be us running through a list of names of men. We will come back to this later on. But the purpose of the passage here is to make us understand how Yahweh prepared those who would be closest to David to be the, some, of the, some of the mightiest warriors in the world. The Holy Spirit has preserved uh, their adventures for us here and we'll see more about this as we go along, but we'll start here in 1 Chronicles 11. These are the chiefs of David's mighty men who held strongly with him in his kingdom with all Israel to crown him according to the word of Yahweh concerning Israel. You stop there. Unity now is, there's, there's no more there are no more pockets of resistance regarding the household of David, uh, of Saul. Nothing like that exists. David had these men who had previously followed him in their adventures before he became king. Those exploits were used by Yahweh to build the courage and skill of these great warriors of David, they became fearless. They, they, they knew that if they aligned themselves, it was, it was shown to them. 
that if they aligned themselves with David, who carried a covenant, who carried the Davidic covenant, of course, from Yahweh, then they too would have some sort of supernatural ability, God-given ability to do what they needed to do in order to protect David. And to protect David was to protect the promise of the Christ because David carried the promise of the Christ. With that in mind, all of this, notice, according to the word of Yahweh. So not only have the other <clears throat> tribes come to join in their allegiance to David, but the mightiest warriors the world has ever seen were among the number of the armies of David. And here we go. And these are the number of David's mighty men. Jeshobiam, the son of Hachmani, the head of the mighty men, he stirred his spear on 300 slain at one time. So he, here's a guy who takes a spear and in a battle kills 300 with his spear in, at one time in one, in one battle. Tremendous, tremendous warrior a man of strength and skill and speed and ability. So this guy is worth 300 at least of the enemy. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahohite. And he was among the three mighty men. He was with David in Pasdamim. This tells us that he was one of the men in David's army. And the Philistines gathered there for war and the plot of ground was full of barley and the people fled from before the Philistines and they stationed themselves in the midst of the plot and saved it and smote the Philistines and Yahweh performed a great victory. So you can see how David has developed his army and is developing Israel Yahweh gets all the glory for everything. And Yahweh is at work in the kingdom of David, in the life of David, and even in the lives of the men who surround him. To restate the plight of Israelites, really from the times of the judges up until now, David puts a stop to it. But the Philistines had always seen the Israelites as easy pickings. The Israelites were an agrarian culture. They were very good at raising crops and tending to crops. They were very good at raising uh, flocks of animals and herds of animals. Very gifted in all of that. And so they would grow their flocks and they would bring their, their crops into the barn. And just when everything was at its best... When the animals were grown and ready to be sold or slaughtered or, or sh shorn or whatever, and when the crops had been gathered into the barn and ready to be sold or to be eaten by the people, just then, when all the work had been done, the Philistines, with their superior army and their superior iron weapons, would sweep down on villages and steal everything. This is a case in point here. Uh, 
talking about how what the Philistines had done and how these this man and other men saved this plot of ground uh, from the Philistines and how they smote the Philistines. That was, a, that was an unusual task within itself because the Philistines had weapons of iron. And at this point, the, at that point, the Israelites did not. But what happened? Yahweh performed a great victory. And three of the 30 descended upon the rock to David to the cave of Adullam. And the Philistine camp or army, the word for camp and army is the same thing, army camp, army, was encamped in the valley of Riphaim. Now David was then in the stronghold and a Philistine governor was then in Bethlehem. David experienced a craving and said, if only someone would give to me drink of water from the cistern of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three broke through the Philistine army camp, drew water from the cistern at Bethlehem, which is by the gate, carried it and brought it to David. These are the men who would serve him with their lives. But he was unwilling to drink it and he poured it out as a libation, as a sacrifice to Yahweh. If his men were thirsty, he would stay thirsty. He would not accept a pleasure or something advantageous for himself that he could not share with his men. These three guys risked their lives, but he showed to them and all of his men that he wasn't going to take a comfort that he could not provide for his men as well. And he said, far be it uh, from from doing this, I shall drink the blood of these men, our God or my God, who went in jeopardy of their lives, for they brought it with their lives. And he was unwilling to drink it. The three mighty men performed these feats. Then there was another 30 of his mighty men. Abshai, the brother of Joab, was the chief of the three. He lifted up his spear on 300 slain, and he had a name among the three. And of the three, he was honored like two. He was their chief, but to the three, he did not come. So he was a, he was a, a, special, a special person, not quite as high as some, but a special person. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, a valiant man who accomplished many feats. From Gabziel, he smote the two mighty men of Moab. He descended and smote the lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Lion was terrifying the village. They dug a pit, captured it, but no more. What are we going to do with it now? You know, it's kind of like a dog chasing a car. What are you going to do with it when you catch it? He jumped down in the pit and killed it. And he smote an Egyptian man, a man of great stature of five cubits. This would have been a man. Let's see, six cubits. He'd be seven and a half, eight feet tall. And in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a rod and he robbed the Egyptian of the spear and slew him with his spear. So he wasn't afraid. A very courageous man, a man of skill. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, performed these feats. And he had a name among the three mighty men. Of the 30, he was the most honored. But to the three, he did not come. 
And David appointed him over his guard. And the mighty warriors were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamot, the Harorite, Helez, the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Echesh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, the, uh, the Anatotite, Anatotite. Sebechai, the Hushatite, I'll get it right in a minute. Eli, I gotta get closer to these Hebrew words. The Ahohite, Machrei, the Netophatite, the Netophatite, that's right. Heled, the son of Baana, the Netophatite. He's the one that could have almost been banana. Ittai, the son of Ribai, of Gibeah, of the sons of Benjamin, Benaiah, the Pirafanite. Hurai, of Nahale, Gaash, Abiel, the Arbitite, Azmavit, the Baharumite, and El Jaba. Actually, it's El Yaba, the Shaalbanite. The sons of Hashim, the Gizanite. Jonathan, the son of Shageh, the Hararite. Achim, the son of Sakar, the Hararite. Eliphal, 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 the son of Ur. Hafer, the Mekarathite. Achaja, Achia, the Pelonite. Hezro, the Carmelite. Naaria. Naarai, the son of Ezbei, Joel, the brother of Natan, Mibhar, the son of Hagri, Zelek, the Ammonite, Nahri, the Berotite, the weapon bearer of Joab, who was the general of David's army, the son of Zaruiah, Ira, the Itrite, Gareb, the Itrite, Uriah, oh, that's Uriah, Uriah, or anglicized, it's Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. Now he's one of the 30 mighty men. It's kind of sad, isn't it? David betrayed him. His wife, Uriah's wife, was Bathsheba. And David conspired for the death of Uriah the Hittite. Zabad the son of Alai. Adina the son of Shiza, the Reubenite. The head of the Reubenites with him were 30 men. Hanan the son of Meacha, and Joshaphat the son of, I'm sorry, Joshaphat the Mithnite, Uzziah the Ashtaratite, Shema and Jael the sons of Hotam the Aroerite, Jeriel the son of Shimri, and Yoha his brother, the Tizite, Eliel the Mahavite, Jerebai and Jashavaiah. Jeshavia, Jeshavia, the sons of Elnaam and Itma, the Moabite, Eliel and Obed and Jaasiel, the Mesobite. And these are the ones who came to David to Ziklag. Now that's, that's out there where, well, it says, while he was still hiding from Saul, the son of Kish. So they were among his original men. And they among the mighty men who were among the mighty men who aided the war. David had these hundreds of men, 
But they were, they were so good. They were so great. They were like thousands of men. And Yahweh gave them the skill. I'm armed with bows. Armed with bows, shooting with the right and left hands. <laughs> with stones and with arrows in the bow of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. So they're ambidextrous. Kill you with a rock. Kill you with anything. The chief, Ahiezer and Josh, the sons of Hashimah, the Gibeatite, and Jaziel, and Pelet, the sons of Asmavet, and Berakha, and Yahu, the Anatotite, and Ishmael, the Gibeonite, the mightiest of the 30, and over the 30. And Yeremia and Jahaziel and Yohanan and Yazabad, the Geratite, Eluzei and Yerimut and Bealia and Shemaria and Shephatia, the Harufite, Elkanah and Eshia and Azarel and Joezer and Joshobium, the Korahites, and Joela and Zebadiah, the sons of Yehurham of Gadud. Some of the Gadites were separated to David, to the stronghold of the desert, valiant warriors, soldiers for battle, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Ezer the chief, Obadiah, the second, Eliab, Eliab, the third, Mishmanah, the fourth, Yeremia, the fifth, Atay, the sixth, Eliel, the seventh, Yohanan, the eighth, Elzabad, the ninth, Yeremia, the tenth, Machbanai, the eleventh, these were some of the sons of Gad, the heads of the army. The smallest one could pursue a hundred and the greatest a thousand. These are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all of its banks and they put all the valley dwellers to flight to the east and to the west. There came of the sons of Benjamin and Judah up to the stronghold of David and David came out before them and he answered and said to them, if you have come to me in peace to help me, my heart will be upon you as one. But if you have come to betray me to my adversaries, although there is no injustice in my hands, me'elachi abatanu see and reprove the, uh, our, your God. And a spirit enwrapped Amasai, the chief of the officers. To you, David, and with you, O son of Jesse, peace. Peace to you and peace to your helper. For for God, your God, has helped you. And David received them and placed them as captains of the troop. And from Manasseh, they defected to David when he came with the Philistines against Saul in battle. But they did not help them. For 
with a council of the, the chiefs of the Philistines, sent him away, saying, With jeopardy to our heads, he will defect his master, Saul. When he went to Ziklag, some men of Manasseh defected to him, namely Adna, and Jozebed, and Jediel, and Michael, and Yozabad, and Elihu, and Zeletai, chiefs of the thousands of Manasseh. They helped David against the troop, for they were all mighty warriors, and they became officers in the army. From day to day, men came to David to help him until it became a huge army, like the army of Elohim. Stop there just a second. This is the work of Yahweh. He has promised David to be a king. He's going to be a great king. He's becoming a great king. He's promised to David a kingdom. It will be a great kingdom. It will be a strong kingdom. It will be a kingdom that is secure. Everything that we read about these men, their greatness, their exploits, their courage, their skill in battle, and almost superhuman feats that they performed, all came from Yahweh. Now, that does several things, but I'll point out two things that it does. When, he, when David has men like this, when one can take his spear into battle, and when the battle is over, this one man with his spear has killed 300 of the enemy, for example. And the fiercest men of other nations cannot stand before these men. They're not afraid to jump into the pit with a fierce lion and just kill it. And to kill giants who probably were great warriors within themselves. These men, when David's army would come across the ridge, I'm sure, because they had, the Bible says they had faces of lions, they would instill fear on the enemy. That takes away, if the guy's afraid of you, that takes half the fight out of him anyway. But it also instilled courage to the men who were following them. They were following some of the greatest warriors the world had ever seen, and they knew it. And they were filled with gratitude, the soldiers of David, that they would be in such an army as the army of David. So this whole thing, all the way through from the time he was a shepherd boy, well, it, it really goes before that, then it goes all the way back to Ruth, if you want to go all the way back. But it, all during his life, everything is being used by Yahweh. All, of the circum, all the circumstances and the people of his life are being used by Yahweh to prepare David and to make him a great king. Not just a king, but a great king. By the time he gets to the end of his reign as a king, he will have expanded the boundaries of Israel greatly. He would have brought his, his administration, if you will, will have brought um, great prosperity to the land and to the houses of the people and the people loved him and they trusted him. I'll end this. There's some great, there's several hundred years over, there's some great portraits of how artists who in times past would try to portray 
some of the people of the Bible. And so you can just look with me. Uh, these are the three mighty men. Now, you know, I don't know if they looked anything like that or not, but why not? They, uh, they look mean to me. I'd hate to run into those guys in a back alley. There's another picture of those three. How, the faces, how would you feel if that army was coming in? Now, obviously, the greatest warriors would be at the front. David's soldiers, David's captains would be leading uh, the charge. So here's a depiction of the front rank of his mighty men and the others following behind them. This is, this, this depiction from the artist is, is his depiction of Benaiah. You remember that guy, how good he was with the spear and so forth. This is another depiction of Benaiah. Remember the dude that jumped down with the snowy land and killed the lion. Action shot just after he jumped into the hole. It's curtains for the lion, right? And there, these guys really like that guy's story. All kind of people painted him. Uh, and he, oh man, he's going to take care of, uh, of the lion. That's the last picture. To sum up, Yahweh did all of this. Yahweh made a promise. He entered into a covenant. He's not going to forsake his covenant. And he does what is necessary to prepare David and then surround him with the people he needs to be surrounded with and to make his life what it's supposed to be so that in that culture in his day, David would be a great king. He is such a great king, of course, we know that he is a type of the Messiah. David, of course, from whom the Messiah will come. We're going to stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.